guys, I wish I had a blonde wig and a giant 90s phone right now to start this sucker off. Hello? <laughs> Who's this? What's your favorite scary movie? <laughs> what? <laughs> I said, what's your favorite scary movie? <laughs> You're crazy. What's your favorite scary movie? <laughs> Shut up, bitch. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what? Is, I'll cut your tits off with a butter knife. Is my knife. shirt about to get wet from blood? <laughs> or something? Perhaps a burst water pipe? Uh-oh. All right, guys, make your way to the stage. We got the blood wet t-shirt uh, contest. Woo! Happy Halloween, everybody. Remember to tip, tip your bartenders and serial killers. All right. <laughs> There's vodka in that blood. Don't waste it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, that'd be like the most cushion job just doing like the like strip club DJ. Uh yeah, that'd oh, be pretty yeah. fun. You just got you just you just got to put on that voice. It's, it's... That's right. All right, guys, we got the Scream Queen coming up. It's Veronica. And if I were a stripper, I'd have like the most unappetizing name would be like Seymour Butts or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like All right, guys, coming up to the stage, we got Harry Gobstopper. <laughs> Just frump up to the stage. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you could just play the dams. Um, oh man, what is that song? I can't be happy today and just wear sweatpants. Yes. <laughs> yes. Can't be happy today. <laughs> oh, song's That'll great. really get some butts out of the seats for sure. Some more butts. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to Under the Pendulum. I'm Chris Weber. Here, as always, is Heather Weber. Hello. And Caitlin Weber. Hello. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, di- I didn't have like a very, um, I didn't have a nice funny thing for that today. That's okay. It, it's hard to come up go with so them. far. Win some, you, know. you lose some. Mm-hmm. And sometimes <laughs> you lose a lot of blood, as we're about to talk about. That's right. <laughs> and hey, it's February, <laughs> Women in Horror Month. Woo! <laughs> Girls just want to have fun. <laughs> yeah, I, it's so funny because I thought you said it was like women, uh, Women's Month. And so I was looking it up and it was like it's Black History Month. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so I guess I guess it's actually Women's American History Month or uh, next month in March. So oh, okay. I, didn't, I didn't know it was like women's, uh, Women in Horrors Month. Yeah, I just found that out a couple of years ago, like doing the narrations and everything. Um Typically around February, they they start asking for more for more of those because um, you know they want more participation from women and we're kind of underrepresented. Yeah, no shit. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it was like we were just talking about like podcasting is just ruled by white dudes. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. you know what, white dudes got opinions and they got a lot of them <laughs> and deep That's voices. <laughs> essential <laughs> it's so hard being a white man these am days I right? <laughs> am i right guys <laughs> you're right where my ballad dogs at <laughs> i'm glad that it is a month for women in horror because we've tor- typically gotten the short end of the stick in in uh in horror for sure and yeah yeah as as kind of we'll be talking about today i mean it's just typically like 
everybody likes to see a pretty lady do something, including die. So, yep. Mm-hmm. Especially it's nothing die. like nothing like seeing a hot chick get murdered oh, that's or true. turn into an alien blob or become deformed. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, take your pick. For sure. So I guess. To celebrate this month, uh, we'll be discussing a well-established horror film trope that has evolved in many different ways since the <laughs> 70s, and we'll be talking about the final girl <laughs> trope. <laughs> Brad? Brad? Come on and face me, Arella! <laughs> <laughs> what are you waiting for? <laughs> Anvil. <laughs> Acme Anvil, yep. <laughs> So, the final girl is a trope that we see mostly within the slasher genre of horror films. I I was I was talking to dad about it and he's like, "What's the final girl thing?" I had um, never heard of so, it either. Yeah, so in case anybody is not sure, though I imagine many people are actually familiar with it, just may not be familiar with the terminology. It's the uh reoccurring theme where there's like a small group of people, usually teenagers and usually young women, who are picked off one by one. Um, A killer slashes his way through the group until there's one girl left. And she then has a final confrontation with the killer. And this final confrontation usually goes one of two ways. She can either kill him or she is saved at the last minute by an outside figure or hero. Exactly. By a man. Exactly. And she's usually the hottest one. (laughs) Usually the, uh, the one with the club foot dies first. Most relatable too. She's very relatable usually. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. But hot is definitely number She's one. She's down to earth. She knows how to garden. She can work a power drill. I'm sure, and she is savable. Yeah. Those are actually um, going to be really important points later. Is like the idea of like domesticity, and then kind of later on defying those um, conventions of like how a woman should be, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, no. Uh, there's no wonder it started in around you know the 70s, the mid 70s. This, this oh trope. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The ideals were still all askew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, oh, they're girl. they're really coming off the coming off the heels of like the 50s. You know, the 60s. You see a little more of the free love and stuff, but you know, they're still clinging to those ideals of like. What a what a proper woman, right? Should and do like or how she should in, act in that documentary, the um, Night Stalker. The what was it like? Uh, I'll be with you in the dark or something like that. That fantastic. I'll be gone in I'll the be dark. Gone in the dark. Yeah, that was uh, the the Golden State. Oh, the Killer. Golden State Killer. Yeah, I think they talk yeah. about how if you were raped even in the seventies, they still chucked it up to being your fault for being dressed a certain way or asking for it. You know. In some cases, yeah, in the, in the interrogations, they certainly would um, ask you questions to the effect of like, what did you, what could you have done to maybe uh, mislead this man, or could you have maybe done something to be misinterpreted, where someone would want to come after you because you dress. Could a you be way. less hot? Yeah, or, hmm? or you said a certain hmm? thing to somebody, or too promiscuous. Exactly. You know. Well, I guess God I can woman. skin the, 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 you know, flesh off my face and see how that goes because there's really nothing else I can that's do about it. That's a start. That's that's a start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, might as well. Burl that bag, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, when we talk about the genre, you know, especially slasher films, we're, we're kind of already talking about some of these elements, um, but a lot of them really come into play. 
and I'll just kind of ramble off a couple here. So we, you know, you have the role of gender, which we'll talk a little more about later. Societal ideas of sex and virtue, hypersexuality, hypermasculinity, which is going to be talked about a little later um, as as the genre progresses. Uh, then you have like psychosexual aggression, dominance, revenge, and of course, with the final girl, the ultimate question is. Is she a feminist figure or is she anti-feminist? And doing the research, I read good arguments on either point. And it really, we can really chalk it up to it depends on what slasher film and what time that we're talking about it. Because um, as we'll see as it progresses into the 90s and, and 2000s, you start to see more stronger feminist figures um, in the slasher genre. Definitely. 100%. So we, of course, have the exploitation or grindhouse films of the 70s, where many critics like Siskel and Ebert would say that they were inherently anti-woman, or in their words, woman-hating films. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but this, of course, it's, it's, it's reductive in some cases. You know, we, we have to read a little deeper into them and look at the underlying themes and use of uh, societal commentary to really understand what these films are saying and how they are really placed within their respective time periods. You know, even though even though we're just talking about decades, um, things can change very quickly um, in a decade, as we've kind of seen. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Scrunchies to, you know, um, butterfly clips is, is the one, one example. <laughs> <laughs> the world oh, yeah. lost its mind. Crunchy bangs to no <laughs> crunchy bangs. I had the crunchiest of hair. At I age 14 bet. through 16. Uh, I remember dude. being in kindergarten oh. and mom like putting too much hairspray in my hair and it really upset me. <laughs> it, yeah. As it should. Yeah. Yep. I'm like, I don't want it. I'm four. <laughs> you gotta look pretty. You gotta dime it. We love you, mom. We love you, mom. Yeah, we love you, mom. <laughs> So we see these themes play out in a variety of ways, and in the slasher genre and final girl trope, we see themes like the evils of sexual promiscuity and the power of the chaste and virginal figure, uh, the repressiveness of suburban life, and the perceived roles of young women in society, as well as the dominance of a masculine figure over the feminine, and well, you know, later the reverse of that. Uh, but we see some of these films taking those themes and not only questioning them, but later on right out defying them. I love me a good final girl movie, and when it's done right, yeah, man, it's yeah. I watched a, I watched a couple this week, uh, this last week, and kind of reinvigorated that uh, the love of that, the whole trope, you know. Yeah, and even though I mean slashers aren't my favorite genre of horror, certainly, you know, one with a good final girl, I think makes makes that genre stand out what are what are some for examples that most people have seen so i would say ripley from alien and aliens oh, yeah that is pretty awesome which is a really interesting one because you get that sort of like sci-fi horror um yeah you know uh, mix mm -hmm. and, and and that's like so that's a kind of a really interesting uh, final girl yeah. trope um mm -hmm. uh, sydney from scream of course mm -hmm. i was thinking of that one first and yeah and freddy krueger like nightmare yeah yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about um about nancy or not yeah nancy from, nancy. from Freddy yep. Krueger, um or nightmare on elm street played by heather langenkamp <laughs> yeah langenkamp <laughs> she's got a lot of good things to that's say my about name. It. that's right it's a yeah. fine name um you know re really early ones which we'll talk about is like texas chainsaw massacre and halloween um mm, those are yeah. some of like the really early final girl movies that we see yeah so, sure. yeah, and then, you know, it's really, and then I'm sure 
a lot of people have seen like those home invasion movies where there's like the woman or girl who just like turns into a total badass and then really kind of turns the tables on the um invaders mm-hmm. yeah yeah love those like we just i just i just watched uh your next um for the first time the other day yeah yeah it was it was okay it was you know had some good kills and stuff but um yeah that was definitely like she was just like uh level-headed and badass almost from the get-go when yeah, things start to def- pop off that was the survivalist right like yeah she, yeah she like grew up in like a survivalist com like compound or something oh, yeah Lord, that's right that's funny mm-hmm. yeah yeah dude it, it was i mean it was it was fun you know it yeah. wasn't like anything um super special but yeah it was fun it was a romping some, some, good time it was a romping I good hope time her pants were up too high and she had a really goofy like tactical flashlight bracelet thing like it's also <laughs> a, a rope sort of thing yeah uh, i bought it off of info that's right my tactical flashlight <laughs> My name's Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> so the the seminal work discussing the final girl trope is Men, Women, and Chainsaws, Gender in the Modern Horror Film, written by Carol J. Clover. Uh, anytime you read anything about the trope, you'll see Clover's work cited just like everywhere. I mean, she she really kind of helped define like what the rules and, and sort of like the intricacies of the genre, of the trope are. And as the title suggests, she focuses on the role of gender in horror. And she has a bunch of other really great academic pieces discussing different gender issues and themes in horror. But Men, Women, and Chainsaws is probably the most comprehensive. She's also yeah. credited with first using the term final girl. Oh. So she's, yeah, it's yeah. a big deal. Joe Bob Briggs brings her up, you know, several times throughout all of his episodes. Cool. Yeah, um, no, she, she's really like the leader of, of kind of defining you know the trope um, yeah you know so i'll be pulling from that and i'll also be pulling from another essay of hers called her body himself gender in the slasher film Dang. Um, both are really good That's reads so mm-hmm. yeah yeah they're they're um i don't know if anybody's ever taken like a film class or, or like a film analysis class but it's 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 definitely in that kind of vein you know to talk a lot about the use of like what camera work, what the camera work does and like what it portrays and, you know, and then all the other, you know, nuances and of the, uh, of film. So, nice. girl. so before we get to the ground rules of the final girl trope, um, we should probably discuss some of the themes and rules of the slasher genre just to kind of ground us before we kind of get into that in the slasher genre, the killer is almost always masculine. And if he's not a man, or if, if the killer's not a man, then someone with hyper masculine qualities. You know, like I think of, uh, like like um Friday the Thirteenth. You know, the killer ends up actually being the mother, but the yes. whole time you think it's a man. You know, and that's sort of like because she's showing these hyper masculine qualities, even though she's not a right, man. Right, right. Well, the one on, yeah. Or even, uh, yeah, or even Sleepaway <laughs> Camp. You know, is a good one. That's sort of like that. a gender bending. Uh, yeah, yeah, cause yeah. That's, yeah. Just, I, I that's was, kind of an interesting one wanting to talk about that one but i don't know it's just so weird and out there that was, that's probably crazy. reserve that one for another time i was just <laughs> thinking is that about one even that really movie? yeah it's not really a final girl um movie really no i guess not i mean mm-hmm. no yeah she's she's kind of the killer so not mm-hmm. not necessarily fitting within within the confines of that for sure, yeah. I just love that movie. So, yeah, dude, <laughs> it's that, so wrong dude, that, to love it, but the I do. end scene, yeah. man, it's fucking. That's it's wonderful creepy. that they got that movie made. Were able to get <laughs> yeah. in that movie made because that shit is crazy. 
I, I remember the first time I saw it and I've never been shocked, so shocked in my entire life. It was crazy. Mm. <laughs> yeah, dude, that, that final like reveal, man. It's, Ugh, it's I like, know, I don't even like to think about it's it. A, it's it's so a creepy crazy. image, man. Like I, I I got like, ugh. I was like shudders, yeah. man. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And anyway. it was it was really her face. It wasn't like the whole like she had right. a dick thing, you know. And that was like a yeah. mask of her face too on a man's Seems body. Scary. Like in that last shot, the element of the uncanny right there. I hate that shit. Yeah, fantastic Mm -hmm. mask though. I think the poor lighting helped with it, but oh sure, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Clover would suggest that these killers are hypermasculine to disguise their own gender distress. um, You know, fearing that they will be perceived or exposed as feminine. And to pull from another article, um, as Kyle uh, Christensen states in his essay, The Final Girl versus Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street, quote, the typical slasher killer invests so fervently in an image of violent masculinity and psychosexual fury because they know that their own masculinity is very limited and or incomplete, unquote. So it's sort of like we see hypermasculinity, but also fragile masculinity at the same time and like this idea of of the killers having to compensate for i guess for a lack of masculinity you know what yeah. I mean? so that's why they especially that's why women are usually the targets of these films i mean i feel like a lot of life's bullshit you know from other people comes from insecurities you know oh absolutely oh, yeah. yeah especially from fucking dudes and their dicks man 100 <laughs> percent. oh yeah 100 percent. y'all need a wambulance damn <laughs> <laughs> I know, like how many wars have been started? I know, we some, know it's you know, there like, already. God, I, I don't have a tiny dick. <laughs> you got a tiny Stop dick. Stop making fun of me, mommy. <laughs> like t- <laughs> what? Okay, what? <laughs> Stop oh, it! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this dirty woman. <laughs> I'm a dirty. Birdie. <laughs> <laughs> so the slasher films also or slasher films also contain what Clover calls the terrible place. And this is the place where all the murder and mayhem occur and it can vary in location. It's most often a house, a tunnel, a basement, or in the case of Nightmare on Elm Street, an entire street. But the point is that it is the place where most of the victims meet their ends. And the victims usually think that it's a place of refuge or a safe hiding spot, only to find themselves in greater <gasps> ja- in greater no. danger. So, you know, the place itself isn't always what makes it terrible. Um, the inhabitants can also create the terrible place. For instance, the family in Texas Chainsaw or the mother on Nightmare on Elm Street uh, make the homes all the more terrible. The terrible places also allow the killer to be in close proximity with their victims, and this will be important later. But in these confined and often dark and damp places, the killer also penetrates the safe haven or the hiding spot, as well as penetrating the victim with his weapon, and all these euphemisms will be important later as well. Gotcha, you trap (laughs) me, stay. (laughs) (laughs) Hurts, don't it? uh, Talking... She died by Noogie. It was the, <laughs> the worst goddamn Noogie I've ever yeah. seen. Gotcha, <laughs> So the weapons used in these films are also indicative of masculine dominance. Um, you know, we rarely see guns used in any of these films. Hey, you're um, right. That'd be too quick and yeah. easy. 
Well, and, and if they are used, um, they're usually used by the victims or the would-be heroes, but they are you know, usually unreliable or ineffective. Um, and this also goes for other technological devices like the telephone or a car engine. They ultimately never work. You know, it's like you, know, you see the girl like get in the car. She's trying to turn the key. Yeah. And it's just like not revving or, you know, the phone's not Come working. On. Come it's on. like that Tupperware commercial <laughs> where she like nobody can hold on to Tupperware. Right. Or like it all falls on to you and just like. Oh, this yeah. Is- and then she gets stabbed yeah. to death. Yeah. I, I remember that commercial, no, yeah. Why isn't anything working? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and th- you know, and thematically, this is because the terrain of the killer is more primal and primitive. You know, we see the killer use weapons like a knife, axe, ice pick, or you know, other such implements that have sort of a dick, you know, yeah. induendo. It's stupid. Um, and he- so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but even the use of weapons <laughs> like the chainsaw necessitate a closeness, and you know, the use of these up close weapons uh, kind of give them a primal power. So much like the teeth of a werewolf or of a vampire, mm. the weapon becomes an animalistic extension of the killer. And as Clover would say, quote, bringing the attacker and attacked into primitive animalistic embrace. So that's why we also see the terrible place also being kind of very claustrophobic and and putting the killer and victim into such close quarters with each other. Hmm. That's a very mm-hmm. eloquent way to put it. Yeah, for sure. I just keep thinking of fart jokes for the terrible place, like a place you really don't want to be or something like that happens. Or like the gooch, like the part between the butthole. The bog of eternal stench. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now that's the terrible place. It's like it's like, a, like one of the girls like wakes up, it's like all, all sleepy wakes up and she just sees like an ass in front of her face and just drops. And she's just like... <laughs> And then a machete comes out of the ass and stabs her. <laughs> Perfection. I would love oh, to man. see that. Chef's kiss. Oh, man, got it. We gotta log that idea, man. That's <laughs> oh potato, potato. <laughs> so there's obviously also a phallic nature of many of the slasher weapons, and it's no coincidence that the killers often are often males with gender anxieties. So when the final girl wields their weapon or some other phallic weapon, she then emasculates them and puts herself into a position of dominance. So that's sort of like the, the important role of, of, of why they use those kind of weapons. Hmm. And, and then why it's important that the final girl kind of turns the tables on them in that way overtaking them like she doesn't um, use the things so much but things and like strategy and stuff right yeah and, and we don't see that as much at the beginning of of the trope you know in like the 70s um but later into the mid 80s and then 90s and 2000s we'll, you start to see that a lot more there's like a, a proactive set of choices that they're making you know it's 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 like not being thrust into it they proactively are are going after the killer montage yeah, at first they are definitely it's just they've found themselves in a bad way, and they're just mm-hmm. trying to yeah to make it. And I mean that's anybody, and especially I mean as me as a woman, like I can only take something for so long. Somebody mistreating me or somebody doing something to me before I you know you axe them in the head. Yes, yeah. actually bite mm-hmm. back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what boyfriend is this? Boyfriend number six that died? No, it's good. <laughs> Oh, what are with all these the insurance policies you've been taking out? What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's with all these insurance? I don't know. <laughs> You're a real My bell. Lips are sealed. 
<laughs> oh, she was the best. I was just thinking of uh, so I married an axe murderer and that that end scene. I know it's not really a final girl, but the sister being the axe murderer and the raincoat and the roof scene. Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah. Toy fiction. So, and then we have the victims themselves. Um, there is a theme in slashers that the victims are sexual transgressors um, in some way or another, and they're usually young women or teenagers, but they can be they can be a boy or a girl. We see it often happening post-coital as they finish up their sinful promiscuity. They have sealed their face. Boys coital. Oh. Boys <laughs> coital. Oh, I'm the clem. I'm boys coital. <laughs> <laughs> so although we see both boys and girls being killed, um, how they are killed and how the camera shows their deaths are vastly different. You know, as Clover states, quote, Boys die, not because they are boys, but because they make mistakes. Some girls die for some, for the same mistakes, but they always die because they are female. Unquote. That's weak. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. uh, you know, the, de- the death of a male is moreover more likely than the death of a female to be viewed from a distance or viewed only dimly or indeed to happen off screen and not be viewed at all. The murders of women, on the other hand, are filmed at closer range, in more graphic detail, and at greater length. That's a great shot. Ooh, so, that's a great shot. Ooh, that's even a better yeah. shot. Give me another camera. <laughs> All right, give me a little titty in there. Give me a little titty in there. How many lemons we got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, you know, and you probably, people who have seen these movies probably notice it. You know, when you see the, the chick getting killed, we see the camera, like, linger on her face, you know, or, or it's like that reveal, you know, where she's just, like, laying there and she's really complacent. And then, you know, the killer will, like, put his hand on her, and she'll think it's her boyfriend. She's a little apprehensive, and he's like, stop, Terry. Damn it. And then she sees him, and it's terror, and then, ultimately, she dies, you know, when we see the death and so a lot of close-ups of... Well, I was just thinking, faces. and, like, sometimes, mm-hmm. it, like, at someone's death is played, like, an orgasm or something like that, and it's kind of really overly feminine and mm. weird and stuff, and I, I mean, I almost see it as the same thing sometimes, but... Yeah, that's it. There, there's a there's like a buildup, but that, that's an interesting. I didn't even think about yeah, that for sure. Yeah, like hmm. sometimes when I see someone stabbed to death, like one that was horribly violent, terrible thing, and two, it's always like, should I be seeing this? Like, <laughs> and three, I need to. And I need to. Because I spilled my soup everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I spilled my soup. So the soup. In terror. <laughs> In terror. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, these are just a few of the big themes and rules we see. Um, there are more, but for our purposes, I think these will just do just fine. Um, and now we can talk a little bit about the final girl. Sorry, this is going to be this is a little long, but the setup will be kind of important for talking about the movies. Sorry. So we mentioned earlier that many critics do not give the genre the time of day. And when they do, it's usually to talk about how awful, sexist, and obscene they so, are. So, a.k.a. mad shit. Hell Yeah. <laughs> But as uh, Christensen, who also pulls heavily from Clover, states, quote, Clover complicates potential anti-feminist assaults on the slasher genre for its seemingly sexist depictions of the terrorizing and brut- brutalizing of, ma- of mainly female on-screen victims by claiming that the final girl, the usual surviving female heroine in the slasher films, is, at least on the surface, a vision of female empowerment and determination. The final girl is admirable in her valor as she looks as she alone looks death in the face, but she alone also finds the strength either to stay the killer long enough to be rescued or to kill him herself. 
Furthermore, even before gaining the viewer's respect for eliminating or outlasting the killer, the final girl is a virtuous character distinguishable from the rest of the film cast because she possesses several exceptional traits. Her avoidance of sexual activity, her watchful paranoia which allows her to be resourceful in a pinch when danger strikes, and her boyish, not girlish and weak, nature. Unquote. Oh my god, I just thought about like... Whenever someone's like, how, you know, they're in the middle of a sticky situation, they're like, how'd you learn how to do that, Megan? Uh, I worked on a boat with my dad for 20 years. Like, just some shit like that. <laughs> just some side shit like that. And then they like, they're always like, oh, breathing heavy and like moving some shit. I worked on my a grandfather boat. was a tactical squirrel hunter. Exactly. Best in the world. Exactly. <laughs> I was in a concentration camp. <laughs> that's not funny i became a professional lumberjack when i was 15 <laughs> like exactly <laughs> i run regional five years in a row yeah, yeah. <laughs> i can make a mean i can make a mean wood sculpture <laughs> <laughs> i can make a barren 30 seconds flat yeah <laughs> um that's funny so in the final confrontation where the final girl strips her feminine qualities and embraces a kind of masculine strength that the killer can never achieve with his false facade of masculinity, uh, she becomes truly masculine, which to me kind of shows the, the fluidity of masculinity in that men are not the only ones who can embody it. You know, after all, it is just a construct that's, you know, incredibly amorphous and qualified. Um, Goddamn you know, right. it's we always say masculinity is a manly thing, but it's really just a way of, of, of like being or, or performance almost, you mm -hmm. know? So because the final girl taps into a true and real form of masculinity in her need to survive, and by real, I mean ungendered, the false masculinity of the killer is weakened and the final girl usually gets the upper hand in their phallic confrontation. And <laughs> now all this can come off as very, not in fact feminist at all, but very sexist. You know, some academics theorize that the final girl is not, in fact, an empowered feminist character, but a wholly masculine figure. Uh, as she takes on the male mold by accepting and wielding the phallic symbol or the weapon, thereby accepting the superior power of the phallic symbol and succumbing to the hierarchy of gender he hegemony. And as she privileges the phallic symbol to gain superiority. So just following so, the hero kind of mythos and trope kind of thing? Well, it's that idea that like, oh, you know, yeah, she seems empowered and she seems like independent, and badass, but really she's she's taking on the mold of of a man or, or of like a masculine man. So therefore, she's not feminist because we're still saying she's only badass because she takes on this man, this manly form or she takes the mold of of um, of, of, a, of a man, basically. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure how mm -hmm. I feel about that. So, you know, and obviously you, you can argue this point, oh, for you sure. know, like, and yeah, 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 me too. You know, kind of like I was saying in the beginning, I think it depends on what movie you're looking yeah. at, because I could definitely see that being the case in some, yeah. but later on, as, as the trope evolves, I think, I think we start to see it, you know, get out of that idea, you know, and, and like women are just like fully standing on their own badasses. Right, because mm -hmm. they're smart and they're resourceful and they're observant mm -hmm. and they're strong and just all the above. Like they're they're fucking exactly. their own person. Like where, like before, they didn't really expand on the characters mm -hmm. too much. Like as we'll talk about in Texas Chainsaw, yeah. especially, um, it's kind of a non-character. 
uh, for a long time. And then, I don't know, like you said, coming into the 90s, like probably late <clears throat> 80s, 90s, they really started to give her a personality. Yeah, and, you know, I think as as it evolves as well, we see that, like, the men around the the final girl character are ultimately, like, super unreliable and, like, weak as fuck. Like, like they, they just, like, they end up not being able to do anything and they, and they are They're just like, like a bag so of marbles and... that has been kicked over it's just all over the place yeah 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 so it's like kind of like where we see like the final girl being saved by a man or like some male figure at the end you know all the male figures basically fall flat and are super unreliable and can't do anything and and so she is absolutely left on her own to uh to confront the killer yes yeah, you know, but and by her own. I love that there's stuff, always so. that that point in a lot of movies, not always, but a lot where she'll run into another male character that perhaps we haven't met yet or met briefly, and she's like, "Can you help me?" Like, "Oh my God, there's somebody!" And then like immediately that person gets killed. Like any help from another man or source is gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and she's got to like, watch Oh fuck, it. I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. I was just doing my grocery shopping. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. I just, I, I, I guess the one thing that I'm thinking of a lot coming from a, a huge, you know, visual art background is one thing that's concurrent in, in modern art is destroying beautiful things. And that's another, um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, for sure. Self-conscious element in all of us is, you know, we're not perfect. You know, works of art, things like that can be perfect, can be perfection, but we just want to see that, you know, destroyed in some way or marred. We, like mm. what what we cannot be. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like that's that's a even from the the dawn of time when we were talking about vestal virgins and stuff like that, it's just that that need to challenge or impede on something that is so beautiful and perfect hmm yeah that's an interesting idea yeah i mean i guess you could you could say like I, man i would try to think how to put it it's it's a reverence but it's also sort of like a um envy yeah an envy of something that's like almost unattainable yes, absolutely know? and it, it's and yeah. i mean that goes down to like I, I mean i can't speak for everybody and maybe this is super oh, excuse me ignorant of me but like the writers in the 70s and 80s, you know, maybe they were really nerdy and they couldn't get girlfriends or like had really horrible times in their lives where they felt ridiculed by women or embarrassed by they women. They laughed at their penises. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, also, I mean, were they a product of like, you know, thought patterns of their generations too? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, those men writing were in their 20s and 30s and raised by people who were. You know, in, in the case of the 80s, like, you know, in their prime during like the 50s and 60s. And that's fucking tough with yes. uh, mm -hmm. gender comparisons. Oh, God. For sure. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, what is your, you know, your condition to think like we have these certain gender roles, like that we have to fulfill these roles in, in a society. And so if you can't fill that role or, or it's rapidly changing, it, it, you know, that can fuck people up and make them you know, kind of go nuts, you know, I guess where we get a lot of like, it's like, it's weird to think that you have women who are like, women should be in the home and like submissive to their husband. It's like, girl, really? You saying that? Like you, you cool with that? 
you know, kind of thing. But but they're also kind of a product of of the, like the way they've been up, you know, brought up. Yeah, and, and yeah, things like for that. sure. I mean, there's and there's nothing wrong with being like okay with that, and like mm-hmm. you know, if that's what you want for yourself, there's there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just changing times have yeah, it's you not know, for again, everybody. Our viewpoints, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly, and it's and it's awesome now that there is the option to like go outside of that that norm yeah i mean one person's sexual liberation is another person's you know sinful yeah licentiousness you know definitely i ain't judging them for you know not not thinking the way that i do because yeah yeah it's it's hard to but you know when they're like trying to impress themselves and in, in their that's in their a different thing ideals and morals yeah, yeah it's just like how do you man don't break your neck getting off that high horse man. <laughs> yeah for sure yeah that, that that's a, a different scenario completely mm-hmm. but you know mm-hmm. obviously the live and let live approach to that is you know what i like to like to practice well i mean think about and practice as much as possible i'm getting better as i'm getting <laughs> older is not being as judgy <laughs> but yeah no for sure stuff yeah for sure anyway yep so i mean as we've kind of been talking you know after the early slashers like texas chainsaw and halloween you know we see the final girl evolving from passive to active in their defense uh they begin to fight back more ferociously and can kill the killer without any help from an outsider that's right um nancy and nightmare on elm street uh which i'll be talking a little bit more later premeditatively plans an elaborate defense um <laughs> in a sort of like Home Alone esque exactly. style. She booby trapped <laughs> the house. Fucking Kevin and... McAllister is that <laughs> asshole. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and she and she lures Freddy Krueger into her traps and ultimately forces him into a confrontation with her. Yes. Um. You know, whereas the early Final Girl tropes have the Final Girl being saved by an outsider, usually a man. But you know, as the tropes evolve, they are able to dispatch the killer on their own, often doing what their male counterparts fail to do. Yep. And with that, we can get into the films now. Um, so, you know, we'll talk more specifics as we get into them. But the questions of whether or not the final girl is an empowering feminist figure or simply an exploitive exploitative one, it really depends on the film. And as the times and social discourses around gender and women's agency change, we see the final girl changing as mm-hmm. well. So I guess I will now uh, lend it over to you, Heather. Yeah. So um, my first Pick is Sally Hardesty from uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974. Um, And she was played by Marilyn Burns. And she's actually arguably the first final girl. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Um, Besides this slasher film being the first to create this particular trope, um, it's credited to to create it. Um, It's arguable, though. It was also the first of its kind where it had this plot formula, which is also a trope in itself where the group of young people go on a road trip. They meet a creepy guy at a gas station. They get trapped at a remote location with evil people picking them off one by one, you know, like Mm -hmm. evil dead cabin in the woods, stuff like that. I mean, we've seen a shit ton of movies like that. Yeah. I I, I, actually, I, I, in a lot of the articles I read or essays I read, um, yeah, Texas chainsaw seemed to be like, the prototype yes um, which was kind of interesting I, I guess i i never i didn't think about it that way but yeah it's because i guess kind of like you said she's she's almost sort of like a non-character yeah even though she's sort of the final one mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i i actually the other day just watched the last drive-in episode with joe bob briggs 
And it's actually his favorite movie of all time. And he says that he knows more about this movie than he knows about anything else like Ooh, in I the world. Watch that. It's I mean, it's it's definitely in my like top top ten. I mean, possibly top five horror movies. I love it, too. It's yeah, it is unnerving, even though I've seen it like, yeah, a bunch of times. It's still like, God damn, that's creepy. Yeah, it's there's a lot of unsettling aspects. And I think a lot of it has to do with um, like the the camera like some of the camera work yes. and also like I don't know you you get like these static shots yeah. um of like a room or a hallway and then something just like you know and then he pops out and something you know it's 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 you don't see a lot of movement with a camera yeah, you, um in certain scenes you feel the the grime and heat in that one <laughs> yeah sorry Hill popped in he, he brought a beer delivery oh, that's good no. oh sweet nice um, so, I know um, kids. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and I think it's also just the suddenness and, like, non-buildup to some of these attack scenes. Like, there's no warning mm. for the first time you see Leatherface, like, except for the creepy shit and taxidermy hanging up all over the walls. But, like, you get no warning. It's all of a sudden he's there and he bashes a dude in the head with a <laughs> sledgehammer. Going he is, down. like, a it's, drunk yeah. dude with a chainsaw kind of thing just <laughs> yeah. bursting in. It punched yeah. me right in the solar plexus. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, through watching the Joe Bob Briggs episode, um, there is a certain quote that he he gave that summed up the feeling of the movie that I thought was just beautiful and horrible. <laughs> so he says, uh, "Chainsaw was the first baby boomer horror film." And you had pampered, idealistic, somewhat suburban children who were distrustful of anybody over 30. And they're terrorized by these deformed adults that dwell on the other side of the railroad tracks. Now, there have been other films that treat rural America as this place of barely contained violence. But there has never been a movie in which this distinction is so clearly made between the old America of the twisted old adults and the new America of the honest, right-thinking children. I mean, we're not old. I'm over 30. I'm not <laughs> yeah, that old. It's, he was talking about how it was just like a real like hippie type of movie. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought it was sure. it was kind of cool. That is kind of cool. I yeah, that's a, that's an interesting. Like um, it's sort of like the death of of the old, I guess, in, in a weird way. Yeah. You know, of, of like that, those old sensibilities. and <clears throat> Right. Yeah. And I mean, the last leg of um, the, the South as we know it, was pretty much starting to fizzle out during that time and some of the horrific things that were left over from, you know, even as far back as the Civil War, sharecropping, just poverty of the South, like all kinds of things. Some people were even still getting electricity at that time. Like it was a crazy time in America. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think they make that point in, in the movie because yeah, they're um, th- they a family who used to be in like meatpacking or, or, or mm. like in, in, in slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had like been replaced by machines. So now you see oh. like like they are like the remnants of this this old sort of American, you know, the, the way thriving, of life, I guess, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like like vi- victims of industrialization yes. kind of, yeah. sure. you know. And they're still serving up barbecue at their gas station, and they're still mm-hmm. running that generator to get the extra power to the freezers that they keep in their house. Jeez. I will say, you know, be careful with this, but 
gas station barbecue usually pretty oh good. I, you know, it, apparently the the place where the location in the film, the gas station does serve barbecue now. So, oh, does it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Daddy, that's one awesome. time I got a rib dog down in Palaka, Florida, and it was literally like one rib with like a wonder bread thing around it and this barbecue sauce was orange so delicious <laughs> but i had the worst oh, diarrhea yeah. from that it was uh, so bad oh, yeah, yeah i gotta be you careful know, of that yeah a, a lot of bar like good barbecue ends in diarrhea you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's how you know it's good so a quick synopsis of texas chainsaws five friends are traveling across rural texas to revisit two of the traveler's grandparents' grave and their old abandoned home. Mm. They are low on gas and go to check out a nearby home for assistance and are picked off one by one by the cannibalistic family that lives there. That is an excellent reason to be in a place you shouldn't be or don't want to be. (laughs) Visiting your grandparents or someone's grave. That's good. Yeah, for sure. So um, just a little bit of back history on this film. I'm it it was panned by critics and it effectively ruined Toby Hooper's reputation. It was banned until 2000 in the UK, and the actors in it were all frankly embarrassed by being a part of it. Um, and wow, such a shame. I know because its influence on many other horror films after it is undeniable, right down to the aesthetics of it. I mean, just look at mm-hmm. Rob Zombie's films; like it's. It's got Texas Chainsaw written all over it. Man, and not to just, say he's like I was like just great, thinking but. that the other day. No, I mean, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, House of Thousand Corpses, though, it is, I mean. Texas Chainsaw a, to the T. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You have that the the fucked up family and like you have that, you know, weird, almost like a weird dinner scene. And mm-hmm. um, even some of the characters are are, are similarly fashioned yeah. off of um, some of yep. the characters there. That yeah. shit crazy. That means you just yeah. got to follow yeah. your dreams, know your truth and, you know. If you know that movie was good, you'll find out one day. You know, you will. Live, laugh, love, man. That's right. God damn it. And it it also used that text crawl in the beginning of the movie, toting it as factual. Yeah. You know, which had a lot of people fooled like Blair Witch did in our day. Yes. No, people thought it was real. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it did all those things first. That's so interesting to think of it because you you don't think about it that way, but it's sort of like a prototype to... um, to like the you know it's true story you know based on a true story kind of thing yeah yeah that's a that's a cool comparison to make I, I wouldn't have made that one but yeah you're absolutely right I think it's also yeah. an excellent reminder that people aren't always right you know like people's opinions aren't always right yeah and it, I mean the movie is still playing in cinemas mm-hmm. all over the world to Household this day thing. oh yeah, yeah. And it has a huge yeah. turnout yeah yeah. But I mean, I know it's cheesy, but like, seriously, if you think your art is real and you have something and, you know, you 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 really funnel a lot of yourself into it, it, you know, people are going to love it. Maybe it won't be now. Maybe it'll be later. But, you know, it's all about your experience and what you need to get out. Yeah. And I think if you're genuine and and you you know, you you make the kind of art that you want to see, you know, like the the kind that you you would like uh, to be out there, then I, I think people generally grab on to yes. that or can recognize mm-hmm. that i mean it's unfortunate that that he had such a hard time but yeah. um sometimes it takes you know it's sometimes you're ahead of the curve and it takes a while for the rest of the world to catch up to you you know i, yeah. I think we've seen that with some musicians you know mm-hmm. like um 
they're just way ahead of their time and and it takes a while before they actually get any recognition yeah. that's very true nick drake yeah nick drake you know, man yeah someone like tesla She's... died fucking alone and penniless you know god he'd be fucking so pissed if he saw like what the stocks I and think shit were now I mean, even Marilyn Burns, the girl who played Sally, I mean, she eventually ended up giving up acting because this movie never stopped following her. It just just ruined people's careers for some reason. And it's it's a goddamn shame because it's so influential in the horror genre. Well, I know her face better than 70 percent of the 70s movies that came out during (laughs) that time. (laughs) Yeah. But I think it's also a testament to like puritanical um sensibilities yeah. you know like especially in america that we still have oh yeah and even today that movie's jarring as fuck it's it's still it's still creepy i honestly like, y'all are talking about it and i'm like i don't like to watch that movie it bothers me yeah dude never underestimate the power of pissed off moms man i mean i feel <laughs> like watching sure. texas, shut that texas down. chainsaw massacre is the same as staring at a piece of roadkill in the sun for me <laughs> like it's just yeah that it's a rough one it's, yeah. Listening to Sound of Silence, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm going to talk about Sally, the character. Um, and as I mentioned before, she starts off as a background character. She doesn't really have many lines, but one thing is definitely evident about her instantly. She has a clear, nurturing nature, as repeatedly displayed through her interactions with her incredibly annoying disabled brother. I don't know if you remembered Franklin. Oh, I do. One I of remember, the yeah. most annoying characters of all time (laughs) another tidbit about it is uh joe bob was talking about this guy took his role so seriously that marilyn burns was actually so pissed off at him in the flashlight scene that they weren't talking in between takes like he was really just taking it to the limit i mean his his character is insufferable it yeah yeah. you you really dislike him a lot yeah yeah so (sighs) But she's patient with him. Um, and we also know that she has a strong sense of duty toward her family, as shown in the opening scene, where when the the group's van stops at the graveyard, she's the only one who goes out to check out her deceased grandfather's grave to make sure it wasn't harmed in the string of grave vandalizations that took place there. That's kind of their whole reason for their visit to Texas. So Sally is feminine. She's somewhat soft-spoken and unassuming. And you would have no idea that she was going to be the last one standing until everything starts going wrong. I mean, she's just Mm -hmm. so in the background. So after the group stops at the old house and they go missing one by one, Sally and her brother Franklin realize the keys aren't in the van and they go to look for their missing friends. (gasps) And she also refused to leave her boyfriend. So, I mean, she definitely has a sense of like camaraderie to the people she's with. Like, anybody would have been like, fuck this, it's the middle of the night, I'm out of here. But not little Sally. Was her boyfriend annoying, too? (laughs) He wasn't too bad. He was kind of a dick to Franklin, but, you know, it it seemed like like he had put up with Franklin for a while, too, and he was just kind of fed up with him. Yeah, if you're not blood Mm -hmm. with somebody, sometimes you just, you know, take someone. Yeah, we see that a lot of the, like, the final girl slasher films were, like, all the friends um, around the final girl are like a lot of times super obnoxious and like rude and annoying. Like they're usually the antithesis of the final girl. Yeah. Which sure. just makes her stand out all the more. Yeah, you know? exactly. 
So uh, Franklin and Sally are caught off guard by Leatherface while she's pushing her brother's 1970s wheelchair through the pitch black Texas woods. She's just like struggling. Oh my God, it looks horrible. <laughs> he comes out of nowhere, murders her brother, and she runs in platform shoes and bell bottoms with the killer close on her tail, scrambling and tripping on the undergrowth. Ugh. Another trope of a final girl. She trips and mm. falls a lot. Um, Fucking platforms. So fabulous. But she could, <laughs> yes, she did look fabulous. Yes. Uh, and she's possibly the most athletic final girl there is. This girl runs like miles in this movie. It's crazy. <laughs> and she, and like, I think she goes through the most of any final girl because like the last 30 minutes is just torment it's i mean yeah. in a lot of ways you even know, for, for the for viewer her, which is which is a lot di- which is you know a lot different from from the um the ones that we see after it's it's you know usually very quick i mean you know the final confrontation will be like the last 15 minutes yeah. at most 15 20 minutes but it's like for 30 or more minutes it's, she's just getting tormented by this you know, family. Yeah, and screaming her lungs out. She's a good screamer. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I got this down pat. <laughs> so, I mean, she's running away from Leatherface, and what I thought was notable about her quick decision-making was when Leatherface comes through the door and she's about to go back downstairs, she runs back up the stairs and, like, jumps out the second-story window. Dang, girl. You know, she doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't Flying like, squirrel go style. hide. Yeah, she doesn't go hide in the closet or anything like that. She just straight up, no hesitation, like swing right through the window quickly. You know, yeah, very logically, dude. Yeah. So she goes. She makes it back to the gas station, and the old creepy guy is obviously in on it. He's part of the family, and she's then rendered unconscious by him, (gasps) and she's fighting and resisting the whole time. Sally is a fighter. She doesn't. She doesn't necessarily, like, try to pick up a weapon and defend herself, but she will try to to resist and break away as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So as you were talking about, you know, when they bring her back to the house, she's abused, like, so terribly for, like, a half an hour straight. Ah! Mm-hmm. Um, she tries to even bargain with the youngest member of the household, almost trying to sell her feminine femininity saying, I'll do whatever you want. Oh, and they bring that back in, like, the second or third one, right? Oh, do they? Yeah. I mean, I I saw the second one recently. Maybe it's that one. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the second one. Another girl um, does that, too. Yeah. 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 Well, and, you know, earlier when I was talking about, you know, a big big thing with a lot of the killers is, like, this sort of, like, psychosexual fury, uh, fury. You don't see that in Chainsaw. You know, there there is no sexuality with the killers, you know, because no. she's like, I'll do anything. And they just mock they're her. They're like, I'll, I'll do, do anything. You know. Yeah. yeah. They don't so, give a so shit. like, that's not even a factor, you know, no. to them. It's, it's, she's just, she is just meat. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, there's, yeah, there's no sexual bent. Yeah. Uh, she's being hunted. To them. Hunted. Yeah, exactly. Basically. So, and that's what kind of makes it an interesting one, too, you know, because that, that sexual bent becomes such a big, part of these of the of the trope you know especially of slasher films in general and and this one really doesn't have one with the killers you know yeah it doesn't i i found that mm-hmm. interesting too yeah and it's actually more disturbing because it's just like yeah it's you know, like there's almost there's no motive, no motivation really. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that is scary. <laughs> I just like killing. Yeah, pretty mm-hmm. much. <laughs> so uh, she, you remember the scene where they like lean her over the bucket and they try to get grandpa to like hit her in the head with the mallet, but he keeps missing. Oh, yeah. 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 God. <laughs> yeah. So they get her a couple times, but she struggles enough to break free and she runs, being pursued again. But again, she ultimately, she outruns him and ultimately jumps in the back of a pickup truck, bloodied and frantic. That's and she the laughs. best scene in the movie. I know. And she laughs like maniacally. Like it's screaming. really great. I can yeah. see that so clearly. <laughs> and interestingly, in Chainsaw 2, it's revealed that she went into catatonia after her ordeal. Which I thought. Oh, that's added a bummer. A, a, yeah, it, it added like a disappointing layer to it. Yeah. Mm. So I mean, like, her... like they they ultimately got the best of her. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. She was doomed from the beginning. Dang. Mm. So I mean, her survival is more of an endurance battle than outright badassery. She's thrown into this terrible situation by a series of miscalculations and her sense of duty to her friends. She doesn't really try to fight back. She's more interested in self-preservation, defending assaults against her, and really running the other way. And I think her treatment in Chainsaw feels more exploitative than a show of empowerment. But Mm -hmm. she does endure through all of this trauma. So I think that makes her kind of a a strong, badass final girl in her own right. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's her her will to survive is 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 you know like that's what you admire about her. Even yeah, though, for sure. You know, <clears throat> yeah, even though it's like I don't know, I I didn't realize uh, in Chainsaw Two that she falls into like a catatonic state because it's really just sort of like she she really ends up being killed by them. Yeah, in you know, yeah, well, in, in, I mean, in a more slow way. Like her story is given slightly different treatments throughout the different sequels, but I oh, okay. I'm sure that I. I'm almost positive Toby Hooper was involved in Chainsaw 2, so I'll go with that treatment of her character over the other sequels. But, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of disappointing. I will say, too, like, yeah. um, aesthetically, this being one of the first, you know, final girl, if not the first, um, that the aesthetics of, like, I sh- it's not beautiful. Like, because, you know, when in movies, like, Twister or like scream or anything like that that there is like a beauty fucked upness that happens at the end of the movie like there you can still tell that the hair and makeup was there but with her yeah she was just literally covered in shit freaking out and like oh yeah that adds clothes are so torn. much more truth to it it's great yeah Oh it's yeah, yeah. So like gritty. there's no pre- pretension taken to like yeah. making the actress still look good mm-hmm. and shit you know like yeah no she's mm. t- yeah, it's it's a crazy scene at the end where she's just drenched in blood. Her cu- clothes are all ripped, and she's just like, ah. yeah, that's just completely crazy. maniacal, mm-hmm. <laughs> iconic. <laughs> yeah, man, uh, it's 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 a, it's a great choice. I mean, yeah, and, and from what I read, this is I mean considered the the first one, and yeah, the the kind of way how you described her in the beginning, you know, she's very like nurturing, has that sort of like motherly um, aspect to her. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a huge part that we'll see in almost almost every um, final girl thing. Is there's there's a like a want to care for him yeah. and it and it, it just it, all it does is highlight this idea that the final girl is is more virtuous than the rest of her companions yeah. you know she again it's well how can we set her apart and make her more sympathetic than her friends who are probably not as 
you know, sympathetic of characters, you know. Definitely not. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to watch that again. Yeah, I, I don't want to, but I want to. Watch it, watch it with Joe Bob. It's good. Yeah. He gives you a lot of great information. He breaks it up nice. Yeah, yeah he does. My next pick is a little bit of a different final girl. Titanic. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's really recent. It's actually from the movie Ready or Not from 2019. Um, uh, just saw that the other really day. I like that one. I loved it. It was, dude, it's fun. It's really fun. And it's Samara it's, it's, Weaving. Uh, Wait, what? Awesome. Oh, well, mm. never mind. I'm about to find out what it's about. <laughs> no, yeah. If you haven't seen it, dude, check it out. Cause it's, Is it um, the mansion one with the wedding, the bride? Yes. Mm-hmm. I yeah. did like did that, that one a lot. I really it's enjoyed that one. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. It had some good good turns yeah. and twists in it. Yeah, and... ooh, I'd watch yeah. that again. That was really good. Mm-hmm. So her name is Grace Le Demas, mm-hmm. and um, she's a badass through mm-hmm. and through. Mm-hmm. I mean, 100%. Yes. So Ugh. a brief, <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> so a brief synopsis of the film is a young woman is being married into a very wealthy family of which are descendants of a successful game making company. Wanting to be accepted by them, she agrees to the family's wedding night ritual where they play a randomly assigned game. She receives hide-and-seek, which results in the family hunting her until dawn. Little does she know, it is a game against Satan to preserve the family legacy. She fights to keep her life and to avoid becoming their sacrifice. So I didn't, I didn't see that whole, like, satanic twist really being a serious thing until the end. I was like... It was so fun, yes. Fucking shitting me. <laughs> yes, that was so good. They kind of allude to that. It's, I mean, I guess that's the whole question of the, of right. the movie, right? It's like, is it actually bullshit or, you know, Are and these they're people all so, insane? so scared. Yeah. yeah. They're just like, we, we won't even take I a really chance. I really appreciated the element of absurdity they brought to the end of that movie with yes, all of that. I did like, too. didn't have to. Yeah. Did, no reason. It's just, it was, could happen, you know, in a movie. In a, yeah. you know. Yeah. I, I like that it didn't take itself thing. too seriously. Yes. Me it too. Was, it was very. That's what made it a lot of fun. It's a great yeah. horror comedy, which is hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's hard to pull off. <laughs> so uh, Grace is clever. She's witty. She's good natured. She's gorgeous, but she's not particularly mm-hmm. feminine either. She's can joke with the boys, and she's you can tell she can put down some beers. Oh yeah, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's cool. Yeah. Um, her vulnerability shows in shows through in her difficult situation. You know, she's a lamb in a wolf den. The family right. is clearly not accepting of her, and she is actually, like, the voice of reason throughout the entire film. Well, and they mention a big thing that sticks out is she was in foster care, and then they're talking about her being in this, like, you know, established, the definition of established family with traditions yeah. and everything that she desires and wants to have, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. It, it very privileged, yeah. you know, like, has been for generations, and, and she's never had that mm-hmm. you know she's never no. had even a, a, a family really mm-hmm. no i mean well. she's like the only authentic one in the entire family it's just all fake people all entitled it's there's definitely a stark contrast between her and everybody else in the movie mm-hmm. so despite some of the family's snarky jabs and insults to- toward her she's a good sport like the whole time, and she agrees to play along with the family's odd traditions. But we do see off the bat she is observant, and she realizes that something is very wrong. 
But also her good nature forces her to brush it off. Right. And she objects to things that are like, oh, like, or she jokes about it. But like, you know, yeah. like the underpinning of being like, really? Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But she's like, well, you know, I'll just do this weird shit, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, once she realizes the entire house is trying to kill her, her feeling of betrayal enrages her. Again, she's a good person and she continues to trust her husband. Who doesn't want to participate? It's clear that he doesn't. Um, and she listens to his instructions to help her win the game. But does he in no means save her? <laughs> she sets off to play and she has a super badass moment, which I love when she puts on her chucks and like she rips off the bottom of her skirt to run faster. Mm-hmm. That's just such oh, a yeah, fucking yeah. final girl, super badass moment. It kind of reminds me of like a, almost like a, it's like a groovy moment, you know, <laughs> yeah. from Evil Dead. Yeah. Or from Evil Dead too. <laughs> Evil Dead. It's like, it, just like the camera pans up and she's very like, you know, yeah. expect her to drop the line. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and I'm in the asshole over here being like, you would not rip that evenly. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that too. I was like, I'll let yeah, you have you know this what, you know you ready or not. Suspend disbelief. Mm-hmm. So at one point, she's uh, found by her brother-in-law, and she pleads for her life with dignity, and, Mm -hmm. you know, she tries to reason with him. And this actually buys her more time as he gives her a head start. So, I mean... I would say the the brother-in-law is the only other, like, real Redeemable character. Exactly. Yeah, like, well, yeah, he's, I mean, he's the only one who, like, he obviously fucking hates everything, like... You know, he, he he, he's almost himself. forced he's to do drunk it just to like you know. Yeah, yeah, it. but yeah. but he's yeah he's the yeah, oh, like you said Kate, he's he's the only redeemable person in the whole film. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. He's actually the second most likable character to me, mm-hmm. next to to Grace. I, I liked him a lot. Yeah. yeah. She goes and gets that elephant gun from from the game room, complete with a bullet belt. Oh, yeah. like slung oh, over sorry. her dress. That's the groovy scene. Yes, <laughs> she looks in the mirror <laughs> and she says. Jesus Christ. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, she's ready to fight back. You know, this shows she's ready to fucking to, to throw down. Yeah, it's it's that resourcefulness of, of the final girl. Yes. Yeah. You, you know, she remembers, oh, there's a bunch of weapons in this room. I should go get something. Mm-hmm. So um, also, while she's hiding in the house, she accidentally kills somebody, you know, in <laughs> yeah, the dumbwaiter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She does feel bad about it, but she doesn't let it slow her down. I mean, she's she's on a mission. I mean, can't we say that girl actually just killed herself, yeah, right? She's to yeah. Help her. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> she tried to help her. She I mean. did. Oh yeah, and then she started screaming, She's over here. Yeah. Lots of spoilers, yeah, yeah. everybody, but yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. For sure. I mean, we're talking about it. So I thought we're talking about it. You're listening to the man. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, she escapes through a second, the second story window like Sally. I thought that was interesting. And she Mm. like is running outside now. And when she hides in the barn, she's shot through the hand by a child, which she then punches in the face. That was great. Dude, that scene, that scene was yes. crazy. Yeah. I forgot. It. Yeah, Talk man. about the one thing you really, aside from like all of your softy bits and organs, like the one part of you you wouldn't want injured when you're trying to escape is your, you know, yeah, the hand. Dude, that hand, that hand gets Ooh. it. 
Yeah, yeah, it does. It's a sizable. You can see through it and everything. And yeah. then she like puts it oh. down on that one like, I nail. I know. I was just thinking nail. about yeah. that. Instantly infected. <laughs> oh, I know. And she falls into like a pit of corpses. Like, oh, that's girl, like you're fucked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sacrificed goats and shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're not even talking about like we're not decomposing things and shit. Like that's. I I'm know. pretty sure an open wound shouldn't go in those things. Oh yeah, she's losing that hand yeah. for sure. <laughs> and I like that they didn't, um, they didn't like downplay it. She like she pukes, you know, like she turns, yeah. around, she turns and pukes, you know. It's just like, dude, that's, I oh, mean, man. exactly what you, yeah. I, oh god, that I just yeah. can't even imagine that fucking smell. That was rough. No, <laughs> no. So I mean, she continues to use her wits and strength to foil everything the family throws at her. I mean, there's not one thing that she doesn't fuck up in one way or another for them. Mm-hmm. And she's pretty vengeful by the last act of the film. Um, she beats in the the mom's face with the satanic puzzle box. She sets the house on fire. Mm-hmm. She has a really great primal scream. Like, yes. There's one part where yeah. you're like, Jesus, what was that? <laughs> she's, yeah, dude, she's, she's, uh, that actress yeah, is she fucking great. She's amazing. She did. Mm-hmm. And even the devil himself, in the end, gives her a knowing nod, like he appears to uh, her, yeah. and he's like, "Does he? I miss that part. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, it, like, it just like he flashes for a sec, but he's like, "Bitch, you crazy." Wouldn't you be like, <laughs> if the <laughs> devil gave you a nod like that, you'd be like, "I could die now." Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which so almost good. makes me wonder, as like a side note, if like it was one of the devil's tricks where he like picked her. Because he knew that she would bring this family down. Like, I don't know. Or he helped yeah, her. Well, oh. Yeah, well. Yeah, well, I think it might could. have been the helping thing. Because I think it's so funny. She, you know, when she sees, like, that flash of the devil and he, like, gives that, like, little nod and wink. She just, like, is so un phased by yeah. it. Just be- <laughs> because of all the crazy shit that has just been happening to her all night. She's yeah. just like, yeah, wh- why wouldn't that happen? Yeah, exactly. You know, like, why wouldn't it be real? <laughs> So, yeah. So, I mean, the the closing shot ends with her bloodied and disheveled, sitting in front of the burning house, smoking a cigarette. You know, she's dazed, but she's clearly still all there. She's she's going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And she shows few few moments of weakness. But I do wonder if she would have lived if the if she would have lived at all, if the family hadn't been annihilated, you know, like, would they have gotten her? had they not like exploded at the very last second i don't know um i i well i I think the dad and and the aunt um would have still carried it out because they were like still all about it like the rest of them i you know i don't think they believed in it at all but you know they're all just were super greedy and and didn't want to lose that station that they had uh, yeah 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 so yeah, she like, she probably none of them none of them wanted to do it except the aunt. She was the yeah. only one who seemed like gung-ho super gun ho about, about it. it. Yeah. Well, well, and and the brother in law's wife just because she's just bitch. a fucking I was a crack horse, yeah. so I'm gonna do this. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like yeah. Right. I mean, she could have taken. I'm those not two, sucking for sure. dick under the bridge again. Let's just fucking kill this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you know, and this movie is such a different kind of final girl. Yeah, but. You know, she's a much more feminist kind of character, but it, it really illustrates kind of the resourcefulness and like the the will to live and persevere and in the final girl. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She she's like kind of the exemplary exemplary um 
uh form of that you know she just yeah she just fucking keeps keeps trucking keeps going yeah and, she does doesn't like Mm-hmm. yeah yeah love that movie yeah man. it was it was i was didn't know what to expect i was really surprised how much i liked it, yeah, it was, it was really good i mean she's definitely one of my favorite final girls i mean her character is well developed the whole movie centers around her mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. awesome and yeah i mean she's got great personality traits she's authentic she's nice she's smart she's strong just fucking badass love it and it's funny because we talk we talk about how like early final girls were sort of like non-characters almost you know like like we, we you don't know much about them there's yeah. not a lot of character building yeah the boyfriend's kind of like that like we you learn a little bit about him yeah that's true yeah he's he's you know. kind of a background dude like yeah. i got this kind of thing yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah man it's a good movie if you guys haven't seen it watch it definitely it's check it out yeah. yeah i think you'll definitely enjoy it we're going to go a little over time, I think, because I'm going to try to blow through mine. But it actually, I kind of took a little different route than you. Yeah. I'm going to compare two of the final girls. Yeah. So I won't be like doing both movies separately. So I picked Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween Woo. because I think both the final girls show like show the dichotomy and like the change that we see from like the early final girls to like what they would be later become. Yeah, the more modern. Yeah, exactly. So... When we talk about whether or not the final girl is a feminist figure, Christensen, um, that academic from before, uh, he believes that we can see the final girl as a feminist figure when looking at her in in different ways. So, for example, Laurie Strode in Halloween is a more anti-feminist figure, but Nancy Thompson from Nightmare on Elm Street is inherently a feminist figure. Yeah, for sure. She's all girl power. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, while, um, you know, Laurie is, is is the meek babysitter virginal Mm -hmm. girl yeah exactly yep so in case any of our listeners haven't seen either of these films um please leave the podcast now because i just for real can't believe it (laughs) (laughs) so i'll just give like a really really quick summary of both and then i'll kind of get into the the comparison Uh, (laughs) simmery So Halloween was released in 1978, uh, directed by John Carpenter and starring Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode. In my neighborhood, by the way, where I live. Oh, it's the Halloween yeah, house. Yeah, Halloween right. house is there. That's right. Yeah. That's so cool. You get to touch it. Well, no, yeah. and like I get to walk down the street to get coffee and it looks just like the movie and it's really scary. <laughs> Do you That's always so walk cool. by and go like... <laughs> I sit on that porch and eat my goddamn burrito on Sunday. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the psychiatrist is played by Donald uh, Pleasance. Pleasance. I think that's how you say his name? Pleasance. Pleasance. Hmm. Yep. And the killer, Michael Myers, is played by Tony Moran. Hey. <laughs> So the story follows a child, uh, Michael Myers, who murders his sister in 1963 and is then sent to a mental hospital. So after 15 years, Michael escapes back to the town where he committed his crime. On Halloween, Michael stalks three teenage girls and begins killing them off. Um, He kills two of them and their boyfriends all in the same night. So Lori, who was babysitting, then has to escape the murderous Michael Myers. Uh, she also becomes a victim. Um, she almost becomes a victim herself, but the psychiatrist who has been overseeing Michael since his boyhood stops Michael by shooting him. Um, this, like very reducing this, um, but that's essentially that's it. basically it. I mean, yeah, yeah, not before lots so, of uh, screams and cast shadows. 
Mm, and titties. And, yeah. Yes. Titties. Mm-hmm. And titties. Mm-hmm. Cash shadows on the so, titties. Nightmare- <laughs> so Nightmare on Elm Street is a different slasher film altogether. Um, released in 1984 and directed by Wes Craven, the movie stars Heather Lang- Lang- Langenkamp? Langenkamp, yeah. Langenkamp. 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 As Nancy. Uh, Robert England is Freddy Krueger, um, who is like probably one of the most infamous like horror yeah, most, um, villains. One of the most iconic horror figures there is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So the story follows a group of teenagers who have been plagued by Freddy Krueger, a deformed man with knives at the end of one gloved hand, kind of making it look like a claw. Yikes, and a registered sex offender. And a registered <laughs> yeah. sex offender, that's right. <laughs> so he torments the teenagers and then begins killing them in their dreams, which results in their deaths in real life. Uh, Nancy begins to kind of try to unravel the mystery of who the killer was and what his intentions are. And she finds out that Kruger was a child killer who was murdered by the town's parents years mm. ago. But he now prowls around the dreamscape looking for revenge. And he also just really loves killing. Yeah, he bitch. loves it. <laughs> prime time bitch I know it's welcome the best to prime time ever, bitch the best line he ever did it's the best one <laughs> it is the best Love one it. so <laughs> in between that and long arms <laughs> <laughs> those long arms always made me think of like a um, like a salsa like kind of dancer you know it's got like like frills and shit so, as her friends die one by one, she makes a plan to stop Kruger. She goes into the dream world and lures Freddy out into the waking world um, to finally kill him once and for all. I'd kill him that way, too, if he interrupted my bath time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Mm-hmm. That's bullshit. Oh, it's been a hard day, Special dude. <laughs> Wait, what's, it? what's so, this, the dangerous place or what is it? The terrible place. The terrible place. The terrible place. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Christensen makes the case that Lori is not an appropriate empowered final girl figure as although she does exhibit some of those qualities, when the final confrontation reaches its climax, she's saved by the psychiatrist rather than taking its conclusion into her own hands. Uh, She is therefore a female figure who is inevitably saved by a man. Mm -hmm. Or a person that's been following the case for a decade. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know i mean she was gonna get she was gonna get killed yeah if, if, if he didn't show up and shoot or her, like you know, the you know. guardrail that saved you from going out the fucking windshield of a car accident <laughs> like you know <laughs> so siskel and ebert who we talked about uh you know earlier um they notoriously hated the slasher genre you know they said like these films hate women and they were anti-women's movement like genres <laughs> yeah mm-hmm <laughs> They dude got their dicks hard when Tom mm-hmm. Hanks showed up. <laughs> Perfection. But but oddly enough, both critics applauded Halloween for being different from the women hating slasher films oh, of the early seventies. Nice. They called it a pro woman slasher film, and they found Laurie to not only be empowering but sympathetic rather than just meat for the butcher. And they were happy to see a um, freak in the sheets for once. <laughs> yeah. The guy just standing in all the sheets. I love that. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> And Michael Myers' mask kind of looks like Tom Hanks. So I've been oh my god, it did. That's why. <laughs> Wasn't the original so, one like fucking from Star Trek? 
It was yeah. It was like William Shatner yeah, just painted yeah, silver. Shatner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <gasps> that's really William Shatner. A ma- a Halloween mask of William Shatner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and no. they painted it white. That's the goofiest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. That's <laughs> yeah, silly. So um, Christensen um, believes that they that they completely miss the mark and therefore miss the point of the film. You know, as as he would say, quote. In fact, Laurie often seems to reflect the core characteristics of the oppressive cult of the true womanhood, uh, which restricted the actions of many women during the 19th century. The four cardinal virtues of a true woman were purity, piety, submissiveness, and domesticity. (laughs) And these old-fashioned criteria of womanhood, propagated by many women's magazines and religious literature of the time period, were the qualities by which a woman judged herself and was judged by her husband, her neighbors, and society. Mm-mm-mm. Unquote. So the influence of true womanhood is present in many of Lori's behaviors. Lori is extremely pure and virginal, as shown in the scene in which her best friend Annie informs a male acquaintance that Lori has a crush on him. And, you know, this causes Lori to become embarrassed she to the point out. of even seeming. Yeah, yeah she, she's like almost afraid of guys. Yeah, yeah. Lori is very concerned about appearing upstanding and moral in the eyes of male authority figures. And Lori is also submissive to both her constantly rude and obnoxious friends, but also to her father. Yeah. Whose (laughs) only scene in the movie is just him shouting orders at Lori as she's leaving for school. Dang. It's so sad because they just like people had to follow a certain perimeter for things to be seen, you know? Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, they... It's 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 crazy that they'd rather see someone ripped apart or explode than than stepping over those societal boundaries, you know. Yeah, absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like any uh, dissenters or you know dispatched quickly kind right. of thing. Right, like we can see someone's head blown off, but we can't see a pair of boobies. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. still no America. Yeah. Woo. Gross. <laughs> so and lastly and most profoundly, Lori is domesticated using her babysitting thus surrogate motherhood as her chief means of disposable income. Dang. Yep. So she often gets mistaken as a feminist as a feminist character for her final encounter with Michael Myers, but she's really more thrust into this rather than actively confronting the killer. Much like Sally. But Nancy Thompson from Nightmare on Elm Street, on the other hand, is a completely different case. Nancy Thompson is a final girl who not only proactively fights back, but also refuses to abide by the societal restrictions of true womanhood. Nightmare on Elm Street undermines various components of the standard slasher film, uh, three of which uh, relate to those outlines uh, outlined by Clover. So first, the traditional profile of the slasher villain is undermined as Freddy is a killer who is not driven by psychosexual fury, much like Leatherface. Ooh, yeah. And Freddy is also not represented in this constant sort of like point of view camera shots that we see in Halloween. Right. With Nightmare opting for more objective, detached camera work that emphasizes the openness of the dreamscape rather than a focused singular perspective. Yeah, like a more personal... Um, like take on it yeah in halloween yeah exactly like yeah. like you aren't you aren't put into the place of the of the hyper you know psychosexual killer right, right. you know what i mean the bad place is everywhere um, it's your mind yeah <laughs> well, yeah actually that's what we're talking about second rather than nightmares terrible place being a physical location that the victims wander into um the terrible place is actually the human subconscious <gasps> i know which is and the so site of the character's fatal nightmares that's cool mm-hmm. yeah 
And third, Nancy is able to defeat Freddy, but not only by resorting to phallic violence. Uh, Nancy rejects Freddy's gaze on her body by turning her back to him in the final encounter and denying him the chance to objectify and victimize her. Hell yeah, dude. Nancy fucking rocks. Dang. Yeah, she like turns her back and he's like going for her and he like, you know, kind of disappears. And I mean, it's it really is all a metaphor of just like giving others power, mm-hmm. like in general. Like if someone's wronging you, don't give them power. You know, someone's trying to hurt you. You know. Yeah, and and you and you make your own stand. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. on on how. Yeah. Well, actually, we'll get to this in a minute. <clears throat> So, you know, Nancy's character brings feminism into the slasher genre. Um, She's not afraid of boys, as evidenced by her healthy romance with her boyfriend, Johnny Depp. Um, Whoopsie daisy. But she does. Yeah. But she she doesn't let um, him dictate her self-worth. You know, Nancy defies her obnoxious. Yeah. (laughs) He's not like that. His name is Glenn. Glenn. He's he's Glenn in this. So Nancy also defies her obnoxious mother's wishes that she submit to uh, domesticity and the role of a woman. And, you know, this is shown by Nancy taking the domestic safe haven of her mother and turning it into a war zone to battle Freddy. You know, Nancy also uses her mind and will to defeat uh, Freddy and weaken his masculine domination. So in this vein, we could suggest that the terrible place is Nancy's home. It is a restrictive and repressive realm of domesticity, and her mother is just as terrible as she is a threat to Nancy's agency and willfulness. Nancy yeah, just wants dude. to be so she's... an underwater welder, you know? She fucking, <laughs> she is, I, like, I remember watching it even as a kid, be like, what are you doing, Mom? Why? Uh, Why? No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, her mother's need to keep Nancy in line with, like, these ideals of domesticity and, like, the sort of stereotypical, like, 1950s suburban life, it, like becomes like pathological Mm -hmm. and ultimately dangerous as Nancy's mother like undermines her efforts to combat, you know, Freddie and, and his, his like murderous rampage. Such a drunk bitch. I I wish they they put in that monologue where (laughs) they're in the kitchen and she's just like, I remember the first time I gave you a Barbie doll and you just farted on it. Why? (laughs) Why? Deleted scenes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, we also can't overlook the theme of sex and violence in slasher films and how all promiscuous women are inevitably punished and killed in horrible ways. Right. And this, of course, bears out in a theme of dominance and submission as there cannot be a punishment unless one side or the other is superior. You know, so these bad girls are punished for their sexual desires as they deviate from the antiquated ideas of purity and sexual repression. And we also see that the final girl, while not always chaste, is much more subdued in her sexual activities, usually not partaking at all or she's a virgin. Yeah. And thus, she's not distracted and can then concentrate on survival. <laughs> so it's sort of showing Sweet. it's sort of showing like the virtues of, of being chaste. You know, it's just, <laughs> just like, yeah, you don't have that dick swinging in your face to keep you like, you know. <laughs> I lost my virginity a long time ago. I don't have the will to live anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Come and get me. It was a good Come ride. and get this busted ass. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> so in Nightmare on Elm Street, um, you know, we see these differences with like, re- you know, sexual promiscuity and stuff it, with, between their two relationships. So, you know, you have Glenn and Nancy, uh, Johnny Depp and Heather and uh, fuck Heather. And then their friends, Tina and Rod. 
Um, Tina you know, the, and these, Rod. Oh no. Yeah, Tina and Rod. Um, but but <laughs> yeah. these dichotomies really illustrate this nicely. Um, you know, for Glenn and Nancy, Nancy decides where and how far things will go. And Tina and Rod just argue all the Tina time. Tina and Rod, however, fucking Rod <laughs> forces his way and coerces Tina upstairs, where she's ultimately killed. Um, she does not have the will to decide and determine how far things will go. Therefore, her submissiveness <gasps> becomes her downfall. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, just going along with that shit. <laughs> Rod Stucks again. You should have a reference level. How old are you? 15? Yeah, you should know better. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, these uh, the academics can be a little harsh sometimes. No yeah. shit. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been a 14, 15-year-old girl? <laughs> you know? Damn. I don't know if they have. I don't know if they were ever children. I wanted to be. <laughs> I wanted to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So unlike with Lori, uh, Nancy does not depend on men to achieve her goals. She, in fact, is repeatedly let down by the men around her, and she learns not to depend on them. Exactly. Uh, Nancy, through her own machinations and willfulness, conquers Freddy and thus overcomes the constraints of mankind. Uh, the men in the film are expendable, essentially. Um, among Glenn, right. Donald, and Freddy, each interchangeably tries to exhibit bravado and sheer masculinity in attempting to colonize Nancy's body, either through shielding it or breaching it, and each proves unsuccessful. Glenn dies, Donald neglects, and Freddy, in the end of the film, is conquered. Fuck yeah, Nancy. So, mm-hmm. And that's why this that, that's, the Christensen article was really interesting in, in illustrating like why... You know, the difference between Halloween and Nightmare, you know, yeah. those two figures and like Nancy actually being the badass, you know, yeah. be, being the true like feminist figure. Mm-hmm. She was. Yeah. Yeah. They, I, I always preferred Nightmare over Halloween. And I think that's a big reason why. Yeah. Because of Nancy. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And, you know, I mean, being a dude, it's, it's harder for me to kind of, you know, latch on to those like intricacies. But I'm sure like being a young, you know, or being a, a, a chick watching it, you know, you could definitely um identify with nancy more yeah you know for sure or at least you, or at least you want to right mm-hmm. it's yeah it's, yeah it's just like fucking yeah get them kind of thing yeah you know? well yeah oh, she's so like, smart and then like also <laughs> yeah. as as a lady and like as a young woman like you start to get used to you know people pushing you around and saying really fucked up shit to you all the time and like having to you know learn to s- stick up for yourself like a lot in a lot of ways almost every day crazy mm-hmm. and she gives a really fantastic interview heather what, what's her last name langen camp camp in search of darkness that that documentary we watched on shutter yeah the yeah is it the the five hour nightmare documentary the five it hour the one about the do- yeah <laughs> yeah but there was like a whole segment where her and a couple other women that had been final girls were essentially just talking about it and it was fabulous, and a lot of them felt totally empowered by what they yeah. meant to others and their symbols right. throughout the years. Yeah, mm-hmm. they did. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, especially like I don't know, just breaking into the eighties and nineties, and and sort of like this, like the the discourse on like a woman's place, or or even just gender roles in general. You know, it's it they become much more like loose and and you know we start to see like oh it's okay for a guy to to show a feminine side and it's okay to like show your emotions or for you know for a girl it's like 
you don't have to be like a weak ass you know like cooking and shit like you can do like the shit that you want to do you know yeah. you can shoot a gun you can chop some fucking wood you know whatever the fuck kill kill a serial I mean, killer it, honestly like if for example in my line of work if you're overly feminine it's like super frowned upon like people it's it's not that they they're you, you you're not a good worker or anything it's just like the respect isn't there immediately and you have to just mm. not be that way and and I've noticed that in a lot of ways where if you're overly like, oh, stop, I don't know, or just like, no, 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 like, it's just, oh, there's so much to unpack with that, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And, and I can't talk about that necessarily, but, uh, you know. Well, well thank you for I mean... hosting this, this forum for this discussion. I know we're good. We've went over in time, but there's been a lot to think about and talk mm-hmm. about. So. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I took a I took an interesting class in in college. It was um it was gender theory and like literature, so it's 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 you know it, it was a lot about talking about like not just you know like feminist concerns in literature or like how women are portrayed, but it's it's also like men and transgender people, gay people. You know, it's it's these ideas of like what what is gender? You know, like we we all you know you have people of like or. Oh, you know, man and woman, that's all it is. Or like marriage is between a man and a woman, that's all there is, you know. And it's like, no, like gender is a it's a construct and, mm-hmm. and there are these prescribed roles that we've sort of created over person centuries. To person and it just it just requires common sense and feeling someone out, you know, or a situation. And I, and I think we see the like the symptoms and problems of of trying to like keep ourselves restricted into these like prescribed roles yeah you know you start to see like we start to see that in in men a lot you know like like the the problems of of like shoving your feelings down you know like like not showing any Mm -hmm. weakness yeah Yeah. i mean in that i mean i think that really leads to a lot of issues yeah a lot of horrible shit you know like um yeah yeah or like or like you know or, or like women you know having to feel like i have to stay in this abusive relationship or marriage because society tells me i need to or like you know divorce is wrong you know if they're from a religious background divorce is wrong i can't i couldn't possibly do that yeah or even further like breaking down the constructs of like an hr department or like work or something where uh Mm -hmm. the man that's being abusive to you is more valuable than you are and that's somehow swept under the rug and like do you have the capability or power to fight that kind of thing and that's still going on mm-hmm. every day. Where, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that hasn't stopped. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think things are, you know, things seem to be getting better. Yeah, but they're. I mean, they're far, they're far from yeah. figured out. I mean, I on, on all, all, all aisles. You I know. know. I'm like sitting here thinking about that. Like, you know, I'm just judging these, you know, 80s, 90s constructs of things. But I'm like, well, it still hasn't changed all that much in some aspects. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in some aspects. I mean, like, I feel like we're we're talking about these things more yes you know which is it's something that we like, weren't you know it's not like it was under like your back... breath kind of thing or like in private yeah. you know mm-hmm. yeah because th- there were some uh feminist you know academics who were bringing this shit up in like you know like 70s 80s and you know even a few before um you know i mean actually you know even like i think it was mary shelley's mother she was like a like kind of a feminist um writer and oh, icon wow. this was like in the 1800s That's a really and shit thing to know but they always get shot down by like this, yeah. you know, male dominated institution of academia. Sure. You know, it's just like, oh, she's just a fat bitch and she's a feminine, you know, like she's just blah, 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 blah. 
you know, they're just be, being horrible and shit. I'm very yeah, uncomfortable so by her talking about things that I just didn't Feel. know could be normal. Yeah. It's not normal. What do you mean? I can't, I can't drink scotch and beat my wife. What do you mean? <laughs> I've been doing it for yeah. 30 years. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just, yeah. It's, it's you know, we, we're, it's being discussed more. Um, we're still far from having it figured out, obviously. But, um, yeah. you know, but I think like, like with these final girl tropes, it really illustrates, when we see the evolution of the final girl, we also see the evolution of that discourse. Mm-hmm. You know, we see the evolution of, of the discussion. And, you know, and, and giving, you know, especially women, because we're talking about the final girl, um, you know, giving girls and women something a little more relatable mm-hmm. and something a little more empowering than just like the damsel who happens just to fight a little bit. It has to be inevitably be saved by a man. Right. And it's almost I mean? becoming unacceptable to portray that to people because yeah. that would piss off so yeah. many mothers, so many people. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, absolutely. Like, don't you show that to my little girl? Like, get the fuck out of here, you know? Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And I think we're, you know, I mean, I think of things like, you know, women being in like the MMA, for instance, you know, like, like fucking fighting and shit. I think that's really starting to dispel things. And, oh, and really yeah, dude. Those like girls are the brutal. Dude, oh, my I would, goodness. I would never, man, they'd beat the fuck out of me, man. Like, <laughs> I was watching Jesus, one I night, would... it was a fight with two women, and then it was a fight with two men, and the two women, I was yeah. like, Oh, dude, they're, they're ferocious because I, I feel like because they got something to prove. Yeah, like yeah, in that in that exactly world, it. I would yeah. I would I would feel more comfortable fighting a man than I would a woman. <laughs> but again, you know, and but the, but that's going back to the idea that masculinity is it's ungendered, it's it's fluid, it's it's amorphous. You know what I mean? Like those kind of things that we would say are a masculine quality of like fighting and stuff. You know, we see these women doing like very well and very ferociously and in, in, in a very entertaining way. Yeah. Which is what a fight, if uh, you know, a televised fight supposed to be Definitely. entertaining. Definitely. So I, I think that just illustrates how masculinity isn't a male domain. No, absolutely not. Know. Yeah. Yeah. So, Yeah. I guess uh, we're we're getting pretty over time here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any last thoughts before we get to socials? No, I think it was a really great discussion. The guys, that was yeah. that was cool. Girls rule, boys drool. Exactly, boys are stupid. Throw rocks at them. And and we're also <laughs> planning on having another, uh, you know, this month in February, another celebration of Women in Horror Month. So stay tuned to mm-hmm. see what that's going to be. Yay. That's right. We'll uh, figure out what that's going to be, but it'll be it'll be something <laughs> oh, sweet. Something yeah, sweet. Oh. We oh, can do yeah. like lady murderers and stuff like that. Oh, oh. Mm. I don't know. We'll toss around some ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it'll yeah. definitely be oriented around that. Jody so. Arias's butthole. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's not. That's not. I think we've all I think heard that's been covered about that. Enough. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't, I don't need it no more. <laughs> so I guess we should do socials. Yeah. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Under the Pendulum Podcast, on Instagram at Under Pendulum Podcast, on Twitter at Pendulum underscore pod. And you can find all our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Google Podcasts, or almost anywhere else you listen to pods. And we will be adding more. You can find me, Heather, on Facebook at Heather Thomas, on Instagram at h.n.thomas, on Twitter at Heather W. Thomas, and you can hear my narrations on Creepy Tales of Terrify, Pseudopod, and The Wicked Library. Nice. Hi, I'm kind of boring. Uh, you can find me only on Instagram under Frothy Stardog. 
Exclusive. A glorious Instagram Exclusive. it is. Exclusive. <laughs> and uh, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Christopher Weber. Nice. Yep. Exclusive. All right. That was fun, guys. Cool. Well, yeah. Thank fun. you for joining us for this, um, you know, women in horror month yeah um and we'll be back with another one highlighting um all the wonderful creepy ladies in the world (laughs) so yeah thank you for listening and we will see you next time see you next time Bye bye